0: Gotten here by accident on purpose, you've encountered fishing without bait. A lifetime without definitive expectations on ourselves or imposed by others. So we help people create themselves rather than find themselves. We assist people into exploding into their life through full impact mindfulness. We treat people, not diagnoses. The only admission price is the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try. If you're welcome nowhere else, you're certainly welcome here. Climb aboard, start paddling, and let the adventure begin. And today, as promised, uh, we have an eclectic roster of guests, and today we're fortunate enough to have Dr. Fred Moss, uh, located
1: in California. So, Dr. Fred, what's good about being Dr. Fred? The best thing about being Dr. Fred is I no longer have to be Dr. Moss. Uh, the, uh, the doctor was Dr. Moss. That was a guy who was doing things the way I should do, The doing things the way the uh, industry wanted me to do, doing things the way customers felt like they needed me to do. And that was simply being a doctor. That was going through motions, and that was a, there was a degree of duplicity underneath all that. That was soul sacrificing um, each and every day. By you know, so I would I I never really enjoyed writing prescriptions for anybody. Uh, I always felt like the prescriptions were more likely to make people worse than better uh, uh, in the long run, and sometimes in the short run. And nevertheless, I wrote tens of thousands of prescriptions in my career. Who Doctor Fred is is no longer that. Doctor Fred is really someone who. Um, you know, Founder of Welcome to Humanity, founder of uh, Find Your True Voice, and now the founder of the We the People Summit, who I am is, is someone who undiagnoses people and who really, it isn't the medicine's fault, actually, and it's not the doctor or the industry or their insurance company or anything like that fault. There's this idea that we're really afflicted with, or really affected with being afflicted. We're really addicted to being. Aff- I like this. First time I've ever said what I'm about to say. Addicted to being afflicted. Uh, it's good, right? Nice. And 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 it doesn't have to be that way. There's nothing wrong with walking aimlessly into a world that you have no idea what's happening in, and that's actually pretty normal. And the idea that got created in the '80s was that if you're uncomfortable. That's because there's something wrong with you. It turns out that that's not the case at all. If you're uncomfortable, more than likely, there's a, there's, that's the, there's a causative agent or maybe several. Uh, the context of the environment allows me to be Dr. Fred, the listener, Dr. Fred, the receiver. Dr. Fred, the one completely committed to communication, connection, creativity, and conversation truly at the heart of all healing. And that, that, you know, Dr. Fred gets to be that guy. So that's the best part of Dr. Fred. Well, I
0: certainly love that. One of your uh, lines here is, and they call you the Undoctor." Uh, my commitment is that every person will know that their voice is being heard and that who they are and that what they do matters. So quite often we impress upon people, Dr. Fred, that they are important. And we talk about uh, what I consider a core emotional bill of rights being understood, being listened to, being respected, being treated as an equal, given the benefit of the doubt and the freedom to decide. Sometimes, Dr. Fred, I'll ask people to tell me about the first time they heard the recorded sound of their voice played back to them, and we talk about finding their authentic self, and it sounds like uh, that's what you're leaning toward.
1: Yeah, the uh, finding authentic self is a it's a, it's a fun trick. It's unlike anything else because the place to look for yourself is not out there, of course. The place to look for yourself is to move the stuff out of the way, almost like an archaeological dig inside of yourself to discover um, what's already there that's been muddied over or been covered over with the illusion that pretending to be someone else in order to protect yourself was at one point a good idea. Most of us did this as a child. We did it when we realized that we could maybe avoid getting in trouble with our parents or we could blame our little sister or we could you know, cry and get a lollipop or whatever it was that we needed to do. And we began to live duplicitously from that day forward. And really, the crack in the sidewalk has grown to be uh, essentially a San Andreas fault size for most of us, where we're really living a life that's inconsistent with who we know ourselves to be. So these days, you know, in these urgent times and really these it's always been urgent times. It's not, you know, it's never not been urgent times, but I think we can all agree we're on the brink of some urgency here that's at an entirely new level it, that what's being called for is to give up on that illusion of being protected by pretending to be someone else and actually getting in line with your own aligned self, your own authentic message, your own your own true voice. So quite often, what we try to help people understand is
0: that we can expect discomfort. And there's a Pollyannish type of statement in the 12-step world, Dr. Fred, that says that God doesn't close one door without opening another. However, in a 12-step world, we say that's true. However, it can be hell in the hallway. So the idea is about helping people understand and expect discomfort and deal with the hallway.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, discomfort is—it is part of the beauty in some ways, the exquisite potpourri of the human experience that deserves, at some level, to be embraced as another flavor of life that we are privy to in this, uh, in this temporary, impermanent life that we share together these days in this time on this three-dimensional plan- planet. So. For us to decide that feeling wrong or feeling uncomfortable or feeling bad or feeling confused or feeling anxious or feeling depressed or feeling afflicted, affected, or, or different um, or diseased, it's all possible. And those feelings are real. There's nothing improper about the feelings. But what is really interesting is that, you know, we in the '80s when Prozac got invented, this was the biggest. This was the biggest uh, turnaround for that particular set of feelings that said that if there's something uncomfortable in your life, that's because there's something wrong with you. And um, that was when I was going into medical school, and you know, a, a, while I was in medical school, that took place. And all of a sudden, I found myself doing things that I didn't want to do for as a professional, which was the reason I went into psychiatry was so I could learn how to be a premier communicator. And during the realm of my uh, my psychiatric career, uh, communication became less and less and less. To now, it's almost at zero. A a, a key piece of being a psychiatrist, you know, people now know psychiatrists. They say, "Oh, yeah, you're the one. You're the ones who." can prescribe medicine or something. And it's like, holy cow, how did that happen? I actually went in the field. So I would learn how to treat people without prescribing medicine. And here I come on the other end of it, um, being, you know, essentially earmarked and, and typecast as the profession. Oh yeah. You're the one that prescribes medicine. Everyone says the same. What's the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist. And then, you know, <laughs> That's the difference. And it's, I have to hear that and then sort of accept that like, wow, what a, what a twisted turn of events that has taken place in the 30 years since I've started being a psychiatrist. So when did you become disillusioned
0: with the uh, Western form of allopathic medicine that says that symptoms need to be treated with medication?
1: I've been enchanted with communication my whole life. I, I actually popped out in about 64 years ago with the uh, full-time job on the first second of arrival of bringing communication, connection, creativity, <laughs> and love to a family that was in disarray. Uh, you know, the my two older brothers, 10 and 14 years older than me and my parents. Um, we're involved in a fair amount of chaos, as I as I have heard. And my job coming out was to be little Freddie, who could bring joy where joy didn't exist. And to do that, I was going to have to communicate. I was a early communicator and uh, precocious in my way, speaking a lot in school, um, often out of turn. There's no elementary school. There's no elementary school teacher who somehow doesn't remember having Fred Moss as a student. <laughs> And I always thought that you know later on, I would learn how to communicate. Like you know, when I finally got you know i was I was like ahead of the kids in my class. I, I knew how to add and read and and even multiply in kindergarten. and you know, so they put me into higher reading groups and stuff and gave me difficult problems. But I always thought, okay, when I get together with the big kids, they'll show me how to communicate. But lo and behold, as you already know, you know, each time I graduated to junior high and then to high school and even then to, uh, oh, so favorite uh, college, which was University of Michigan, primarily because you know they they had cool helmets. Um, <laughs> the The idea was that I would learn how to communicate, but in in truth, each one of those was actually a downslide, including at Michigan, where I really felt, "Wow, what they want for me to do is to shut up entirely, watch this character in the front of the room, and then regurgitate exactly what he says in the way that he says it, in order for me to pass through and say that I'm a." an adult communicator. That was untenable to me. So I quit school. It was the second I dropped out twice. Yeah, I dropped out of college twice, not just once. I dropped out once, came out to California, you know, find myself and decided I'd go back and get a job somehow so I could continue to find myself. So I came back and tried computers and that didn't work, dropped out again. And when I dropped out, I went home and told my mom that I would never, ever go back to college. And uh, she's like, "Okay, well, that's cool. you can but you got to get a job now." And she got me an application for a state hospital adolescent unit. And uh, I thought I'd only stay long enough for orientation, get a few paychecks buy myself, a Volkswagen, and hit the road again and and, and frankly, I stayed into the fourth week so I could get to the floors and I started really liking that job, which was communicating with children and adolescents as if they were humans, as if they Uh, weren't defective, as if they were really just beautiful humans who were six years younger than me that I could learn from and vice versa. The thing I didn't like about that, and this is where really the long answer to your question is, is that I really didn't like the way psychiatry of all the fields was treating these kids because we would call them and say that Tommy's up too late or Jimmy got in a fight with Johnny. They would come down and have maybe a five-second conversation with the child and then write something in the chart. And we would have to hold the kid down while they, the nurses, injected him full of some toxic uh, sedative. Uh, And if that was, you know, if it worked, supposedly, if it was effective, supposedly, that would mean that the kid would be out of his misery, wouldn't say a word for 12 or 24 hours, and we would call that success. And I just thought that was just so barbaric. uh, and unacceptable that I made it my mission to come back and be in a psychiatrist and actually bring communication back into the world instead of this bullshit. And I just told you what happened in 87, while I was in medical school, things shifted even in my own field so that I actually became less and less communicative. And that created a massive sense of duplicity for me. In 2006, uh, I started, you know, due to an abrupt year of multiple uh, challenges I, uh, I started doing something different, which was taking people off their medicine and seeing how they did. And they did better all the time, a, almost 100% of the time. And then I started thinking that it's not actually the medicine that's causing them to do worse. It's their choice to do medicine. And the reason they were choosing to do medicine is because they thought there was something wrong with them. And when I really got, there was nothing wrong with them in the first place, other than being confused in a confusing world. That's when I really got to the point that medications might not be what they're marketed for. You know, in fact, they may be causing the symptoms they're marketed to treat or certainly perpetuating those symptoms, which is a pretty good plan, by the way. I mean, it's a, it's a great business plan. Indeed um, it is. You know, it'll create billions of dollars of revenue on a daily basis uh, if you can actually create something that has people lining up around the block and paying their entire life savings for an item that actually only makes you need that item again. um, It's pretty cool. Pretty cool system. I wish I would have developed it, but that's a whole different story. (laughs) And instead, I started, you know, really adjusting myself and moving slowly and surely out of the main medical industrial complex framework and started really treating people by uh, taking them off of medicine and and listening to them and giving them their lives back by reminding them that maybe a diagnosis is simply a a conversation and not a reality. I like where you're talking about uh, diagnoses and you're talking
0: about diagnoses separate people from themselves. Could you say Mm -hmm. more about that, Dr. Fred?
1: Sure. You know, diagnoses, like what happens is if, see, we're pretty serious fools, you know, all of us. Uh, We make some pretty rough mistakes day after day. And uh, sometimes we hurt people, even even intentionally. I know we would like to think that we don't, but sometimes we do. And sometimes we do it, you know, maybe more often we do it inadvertently and we, uh, we make mistakes. We forget things. We, our mind leads us astray or we follow an impulse or we, um, you know, make deep errors. And, um, the thing about diagnoses is that diagnoses are built to give us a little, uh, mm, What's it called? Like a free space to ascribe those mistakes to a condition we have rather than taking responsibility for it. You know, like a a, capa- a way of saying, you know what? I'm really sorry I yelled at you, but I think I think my bipolar kicked in. Uh- Or, you know, I'm really sorry I didn't complete that job, but, uh, you know, you guys know I have ADD, right? Or, (laughs) you know, I'm really sorry that uh, I didn't make it tonight to the movie, but I think it was just my social phobia, you know, or, um, and we get to relinquish responsibility for our life. Now, I want to say this for your listeners because it's critical because some people mishear me when I say this. I want to make it very clear that under no conditions, am I diminishing or denying the actual experiences of not wanting to go to the movie or forgetting to do shit that you said you were going to do or to be a jerk and 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 like snap at people uh, prematurely. All of that is completely real and completely, you know, it's not frankly, I don't even I not only think that I'm not diminishing it. I'm actually shining a brighter light on the possibility that we as human make mistakes. You know, we're not undefeated. And what ends up happening when we have the courage to take on our own responsibility for the mistakes that we make or for the pain that we cause inadvertently or intentionally, we get a whole new access to the possibility of healing and a possibility of unifying with the rest of the human race when we realize that all 7.8 billion of us are doing this at the same time anyways. Uh, from there is a whole new way not you know, to, to look at um, uncomfortable experiences, like I said before, as just being a simple central space of the foundational aspects of what it means to be a human being.
0: Well, we always want to look at what further and what drives behavior rather than treating the symptom that's on top. Sometimes I think that uh, psychiatric medication, Dr. Fred, is blowing smoke out the first floor window when the basement's on fire.
1: Well, that would be in some ways it is that uh, you know it. I think you're giving you it's getting away. Um, you're you're still giving it too much proper due. I, I think it's a, often a little bit worse than that, even, which okay. is that the medications are more like a band aid that uh, that uh, has a razor blade embedded in it, and uh, you know the idea is that the medications simply often cause the exact symptoms it's marketed to treat, along with giving you a sense that that treatment is effective. So in the long run, antidepressants, if you started taking an antidepressant, the likelihood of you being depressed goes up. Uh, In the long run, the same is true with anti-anxiety agents or with, uh, you know, the, the medications that were supposedly designed to treat these conditions. Actually, only Uh, are designed to have you continue taking those medicines. And in order to do that, they have us believe that mm, if we're temporarily less anxious after taking a medicine and then we become more anxious, whether or not it was caused by the medicine, what we instead say is there's my anxiety back and it's worse. And we don't realize that the medications itself reliably creates a worsening condition of the symptoms that you came to take the medicines for in the first place. So here's the thing: it's not like the medicines are diabolical. It's not. It's not like the pharmacological uh, the you know, industry is the problem. It's not. It's like blaming the rat poison industry for creating rat poison. The idea is, you know, if you wanted to eat rat poison every day, and then you would blame the rat poison industry <laughs> for the fact that you got sick, that would be kind of silly. It's it's you know wh- another way to do this is simply stop taking the medicine. <laughs> that's hurting you and start looking at other ways to deal with your uncomfortable life experiences, which might mean really coupling up with someone else who can resonate with you through authentic listening. And that's different than therapy. It's different. It's different than just going to a therapist because a therapist tends to be, you have to be careful with therapists because, you know, there's a, there's a power gradient that's gets set up. Like it's the therapist thinks they got something and the, and the patient thinks they don't. And the patient thinks they're actually getting something from the therapist that the are ther- like a gift from the therapist, like uh, who, uh, uh, tips on how to live that, that, um, perpetual, um, power gradient also creates an ongoing prevailing, uh, perpetuating sense of there being something wrong with the person, with the patient, the client or whatever.
0: Yes. I think one of the things that people don't understand and misinterpret about uh, therapy, what it is and what it isn't. It's not about giving advice. It's about helping people regain their self confidence and their choices in their life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, self confidence and choices, even when you're unconfident or feel um, uh, indecisive. So, can you be confident about your unconfidence? Can you be, you know, um, decisive about your indecisiveness? Can you get that there's nothing absolutely wrong with being indecisive or being um, unsure of yourself? Sure, it's, it's, more, it's a more beneficial, positive vibration to be confident and to be sure of oneself, you know, to be decisive in decisions. But as we all know as humans, there is no human who doesn't understand this notion of being not confident you know it's like we all know how to be really afraid of what it is that we're being called on to do or be and we all know that it's uh, that sometimes we doubt our capacity to pre- to perform um uh to be you know to perform at a, at a high level and so um that's what's here now is that it's time to really start looking at uh taking all of humanity, all of the human experiences, and embracing them to the best of our ability as being just another experience. You know, like eating a lemon is still a lemon. (laughs) You know? We will continue our fascinating conversation
0: with Dr. Fred next week on our next episode of Fishing Without Bait. To find out more about Dr. Fred, please go to -to welcometohumanity.net. Dr. Fred has graciously offered our listeners, his book for free at findyourtruevoicebook.com. And we will have links to more from Dr. Fred in the show notes. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com, where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait,